Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to Crushing Cashflow. We'll jump right into it today. We've got Camilla Jeffs with us today. Camilla, thanks so much for joining. Hey, Andrew. So excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So as usual, let's start off with your background. So you're the founder and CEO of SteadyStream Investments, a company focused on providing investment opportunities in large multifamily and senior housing communities. I'd love to pick your brain on that a little bit. She's passionate about financial education, building wealth, living a life by design. It's hard to argue with that as well. 18 plus years experience investing in real estate. She's done a wide variety of different projects from live-in flips to single family rentals to small multi. And now like many in America and otherwise shifting into large multi and assisted living. And she's also a triathlete, an outdoor enthusiast, and a devoted mother to five, uh, quote unquote, five exclamation point amazing children. So really impressive background. Again, thanks for joining Camilla. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So one thing I got to ask as a fellow parent, right? I only have two. How do you manage five kids, the athlete side of things, investing, and God knows what else you didn't even mention? (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's a whole laundry list of stuff. You know, people ask me that all the time. How do you do it all? And I just say one day at a time. It's not like there's no secret. There's no anything. It's just, you know, you have your priorities. And for me, priority is family first, always and forever. And so just making sure that I follow that and I live that and I breathe that. And, you know, it's kind of amazing how the pieces fall into place if you have the right priorities in life. And mm-hmm. the other cool thing about it is that I like to involve my kids in the business. It's not like I just, you know, mom goes off and does her thing and the kids do their own thing. It's we work together in the business and we find very specific opportunities for the kids to be a part of the business. And so, I mean, we're the weird family who has conversations about investing around the dinner table (laughs) instead of like politics or celebrities or fashion or whatever. We talk about investing and my kids just crack up. So yeah, it's it's good. You hear that all more often. I mean, we had a guest speaker, a really famous guy. He's done, you know, lots of news publications talking to us as a group the other day. And he mentioned he doesn't believe in the work-life balance. He's like, look. The best situation to achieve what you call a balance is to integrate them, right? Like they don't have to be separate entities. You know, you live and breathe your passions and that can't really be separate from your family life. It doesn't coexist all the time. So no, yeah. Case in point, I'm going to a real estate business conference in February and taking the whole family with me and they're coming and we're going to ski sometimes and we're going to go to the business conference sometimes. And, you know, and it's just, it doesn't have to be a separation. Like our mom doesn't have to be gone to go to these business conferences. We can just all go together and do it together. That's a great takeaway. So let's get on with it. You have this concept I've read it's called the investing trifecta. What is that? And why does it matter to you? Yeah. So it's a really important to me as I was, you know, on my investing journey, we all have our own stories, right? And backgrounds. And, you know, the first 15 years of investing for me was just fully focused on myself and my family. Like, what are we going to do and how are we going to get finances? And so we were focused on the financial aspect of it. But as I was learning about real estate and learning about the kind of impact that it can have, it can have a huge impact on your wallet, right? And your future and your and be able to afford you really amazing freedoms. 
but it also has a huge impact on the family who lives in the home that you are providing for them. And that was very glaring to me in one of my experiences in one of the homes that we owned, where we allowed a Section 8 tenant into the home. And I know this is a mixed you know, thing, right? It could be a polarizing topic. So some investors are like, no, never would I do Section 8. And other investors are like, I love Section 8 because it's steady cash flow. The government pays part of it, you know? And for me, I'm on the side where I loved it. And I loved that experience. And it was amazing because it was a single mom with three children who didn't have anywhere else to go. And we just had a beautiful experience. And I loved being able to provide housing for her. So that kind of shifted my thinking. So no longer was real estate about the financial impact I can have. Now I can have this amazing social impact on people. And that kind of sent me down this path of diving into impact investing. And what does that mean? And as an impact investor, you're still achieving a financial reward for the money that you're investing, right? So opposed to charities, when you donate to a charity, there's no KPIs, there's no reporting back, there's no, like, you don't really know what's happening with your money. I still donate to charities, I still believe in them, right? But the next level to that is your impact investing, which is this really interesting place in between donating and investing, right? So you're actually investing your money, but you're getting more than just a financial return. You're getting a return, you're getting KPIs on what's happening with that money and how's it creating a social impact on the community. And then the other thing, so the trifecta to round out the trifecta, right? So you have financial impact, social impact. And then the third one is environmental impact. Because the other thing I started noticing about, especially when I got into large multifamily, was the opportunities we have to reduce our carbon footprint. We can do things like, you know, replace all the faucets and do low flow toilets so we can reduce the really reduce our water consumption. We can reduce the energy consumption. And it's on a massive scale rather than a single family home at a time, which is what we were doing at a one at a time. And so just the impact you can have investing in large commercial projects, and especially in multifamily where it's someone's home, right? Like that's where they live. That's where they create memories. That's where they have their Christmas tree and they open their presents and, and have the pictures. And so it's just something that's very important to me. That's really powerful. I want to dig a little deeper on the environmental side. What's how you mentioned lighting and some other areas. You know, what are some of the bigger projects you've done that maybe they have a financial ROI, maybe there's tax credits and obviously there's the environmental side. What are some examples, Didi? Solar, that kind of thing. Yeah. So solar is a big one that you can definitely do. And we've looked into doing that on several of our properties. Another interesting one that not many people think about is waste. So a classic model for a multifamily investment is you go in and you buy an older one and you renovate all the units. Well, what are you doing with all that trash? What are you doing with all the cabinets that you rip out of a hundred units? You have a hundred units of trash. What are you doing with that? And are you thinking about that? And are you intentional about that trash? So are you recycling? Are you finding places to send that? Or are you just sending it to a landfill. So those are some of the other things that you can really think about is that, you know, it takes a little extra time, right? You think about a demo crew, it's more fun to come in with a sledgehammer and sledgehammer everything. But if you take the time to use a screwdriver, you know, or drill and you and take the cabinets out, keeping them intact, could you upcycle them? Could you recycle them? You know, what are we doing to really keep all that trash out of the landfills? So that's a really uh, cool project that you can start thinking about as you're doing your renovations. 
I got to be honest, it's the first time I've heard that mentioned and it makes me feel kind of guilty. I consider myself to be environmentally friendly and I just, you know, you do these big renos or small renos, even at your single family, your primary house. And we just rent a dumpster and we go to town, you know, because it's like you said, it's fun. It's quote unquote manly thing to do if you happen to be in that realm. But yeah. Hey, I love it too. (laughs) I love swinging a sledgehammer too. I get it. uh, My whole family, we have shirts that say demo day on them. Yeah. We love it, but but yeah, it's very different. But it's almost embarrassing. That's a great point you raise. And it's not, maybe it's not obvious to a lot of people if they don't have, you know, a direct beneficiary in mind or a charity organization or a goodwill to donate it to. So it's worth, how are you finding donors or recipients of maybe old cabinetry or things like that? I mean, there's lots of, you can search for nonprofits that will accept those types of donations. A lot of churches will do it. And there's people who are building affordable housing communities and that will be so happy to take your old cabinets and put them in their communities. So to provide even more affordable housing, like there's different levels of affordable housing, right? I mean, you could go from homeless to the, the next step up and that next step up, they need recycled materials, absolutely, to be able to provide something that's very, very affordable for folks who are moving from homeless to having a home. Fantastic suggestions. I love it. So when you're looking for a new property, new investment, we'll talk multifamily, what are you looking for? What's your criteria? So we're looking for 100 units plus Hmm. and because just the economies of scale on that, right? So we're trying to make an impact, a massive impact rather than small impact, which is the reason why I stopped doing single families and went into large multifamily. The other thing, so I like to look for them in the C-class areas and improve them because in the C-class areas, Ds are a little too scary for me. I know people (laughs) who do Ds and they're comfortable with the crime and with those types of challenges and issues, but I'm not there yet. (laughs) Maybe I will in the future. So I look for Cs that don't have as much crime. But I mean, those are the things that we focused on. You can find these apartment complexes that are just trashed, right? And people are living there and it's just really uncomfortable. I've watched so many of them that, and I walk in and of course, everybody has a different comfort level in how they live, right? So we have to be conscious of that and not project our own views on where they should be living, right? But just simple things like pest control, you know, cleaning up the trash around the property. So people, they drive up to flowers instead of trash and, you know, putting in security and fencing and things like that. So that's why I like the C class because I feel like it makes a really big difference as opposed to the A and the B class where, I mean, you can make good returns, but, you know, for me, it's not as big of an impact as more of a C class type. I agree. It's more of a, you're really a true transformation in some of these properties, mm-hmm. not even just cosmetic, but you know, you're adding amenities, you're changing the way they right. interact with their property, right? That's great. I'd love to pick your brain on one topic. I think say probably one of the most frequent questions I get from you know soon to be or want to be investors, or even a lot of friends and family is, is the risk component, right? And especially with the C-class properties, you know, how do you view the risk reward scenario? If someone's on the fence of, hey, I want to invest, but I'm kind of, I'm not quite there yet. Maybe there's some more risk than I'm willing to handle. How do you address those questions? Yeah, I actually love these questions. I love it when people ask about the risk, because to me, it tells me that they're thinking critically about it. They're not just accepting things for face value. So I appreciate when people ask about the risks involved. So in a you know, a large multifamily project, right? Or syndication or group investment. In a group investment, there's the passive investors and then there's the general partners. So for a person who wants to come in as a passive investor, meaning they don't want to do all the work, because it's a lot of work, to be honest. So what's the risk for them? Well, the most likely risk, I'm going to categorize this into most likely, and then 
worst case scenario, right? So the most likely risk is that the business plan doesn't get executed exactly as projected, right? So whenever you're looking at a project, you'll see that the team has put together a plan and the plan sometimes is renovate the units and raise the rent, right? That's a really common plan, almost everybody's plan. But sometimes there's other plans where it is, well, the expenses are really high. We're just going to fix the expenses and then we'll be fine. Other plans are, well, it's only 50% occupied. So we're going to get it to 100% occupied or 95%. So that's the business plan. And the whole investment, right? The numbers they're projecting to you as a passive investor are based on completing that business plan, right? Mm -hmm. So if they're saying you're going to double your money in five years, well, what if they only get half the business plan done? You don't double your money, right? You only get... 1.5 1.5 of your money. So, but you still get a return, right? But you just don't double your money because the business plan doesn't happen. That's the most likely risk in any of these projects. What's the worst case scenario? I'll be blunt, you can lose all your money. Yep. Right? It's absolutely true. You could lose all your money. But because they're protected in LLCs, well, you have to make sure that your sponsor is doing that, right? And there's an LLC that holds it, mm-hmm. then that's the limit of your liability is just the money that you invested into it. So they couldn't come after like your house or your other finances, your other investments or projects and things like that. Now, what's the likelihood of losing all your money? Very, very low. Very, very low, especially if you just think about real estate in general, it always goes up. So the likelihood of you losing your money, the only way that's going to happen is not because there's a fire that comes and takes the whole property because we got insurance for that, right? The only way it's going to happen is if you have a dishonest sponsor or a sponsor that just doesn't know what they're doing and has never done it before. And so the ways to mitigate that is just to invest with experienced teams, invest with people who know what they're doing, who've done it before, who've had success, but also who've had some failures. You don't want to invest with someone who's never had a failure. One of my favorite questions to ask sponsor teams is, tell me about your worst mistake you made in real estate. And if they like hem and haw and don't give a real answer, I'm out. I'm not going to invest with wow, you. That's bold. Because yeah. I want to know <laughs> what happened, right? I want to know that you had a mistake because we all have had yeah. them. If you've been in real estate for you know, two or three or four years, you've had mistakes and you've lost some money maybe, and, you know, you could have done something different, but that's how we learn. And I have no problem with people who have made mistakes, who have lost money. What I have a problem with is if they hide it. Yeah. And they always say you learn way more from your failures. If all you're doing is following a checklist, you're not really able to think on your toes. And when something does come up, and like you said, it will, how do you react? And if they don't have that experience, good luck. (laughs) Right. I know. I know. So great insight so far. Kind of as we start to wrap up here, I want to think of a fun one. You're a triathlete, you're an investor, you're a mom of five. Is there any correlation between you know your energy drawn from the athleticism side of things competing to your investing criteria? What's the parallel there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, I just got chills just even thinking about answering this question because as an athlete, I've been more than a triathlete. Triathlete is something relatively new for me. I was a major soccer player, so I was able to play internationally and just had a really great soccer career. And the exhilaration you get from being in a game, right? And like scoring a goal, like for soccer, in soccer, for example, if goal scoring doesn't happen very often, man, you score a goal, that feeling of elation and excitement and the drive that makes you want to do it again, makes you want to run 
what a soccer players run like 11 miles a game, right? Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> Makes you want to do that over and over and over again is huge. And as an athlete, it's really interesting because the other athletics I did was track and field and swimming, right? So those go along with the triathlete thing. I'm really yeah. bad biker. I'm not a really good mm-hmm. biker, but hey, I just the only thing I can do actually. That's the only thing I can do. Thing <laughs> I can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, just the whole preparing for a race. If you think about a triathlon, the biggest one I ever did was a half Ironman, which is a 56 mile bike. Well, sorry, it's a 1.2 mile swim followed by 56 mile bike followed by a 13.1 mile run. It's big. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. It takes a good 20 hours a week to train for, to be able to do this thing. But the dedication, I think, you know, saying you're going to do something like that, setting a big goal for yourself. And this is something that I've always tried to do. I've tried to set massive goals. And the goal was not to win. It was definitely not to win the triathlon. The goal was in that half Ironman was to complete it, You know, to prove to myself that I could do something that massive. And mind you, I did this when my fifth child turned two. So I had like lots of little kids, but you can still accomplish big things, right? Like oh, don't yeah. let things mm-hmm. like that, anything hold you back. I feel like I'm rambling, but there's like no, all it's all of, makes sense. All though. sorts of lessons here in triathletes, because if you want to build a big business and you've got to set big goals and you've got to just work diligently every single day. I mean, it wasn't, oh, I worked really hard on Monday and I ran really hard on Monday, but then I didn't do anything Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It was get up 4.30 a.m. every morning, you go out and run 10 miles. And then at night you go bike and then you swim a couple of days a week. And it was this whole plan. And I just, I got me a plan. I followed the plan to a T, even if I got hurt, right? I like sprained my ankle or something during the <laughs> Your own demise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, fine. I just have to keep going and do this. Otherwise I won't be ready for this race. I will not be able to complete this race if I don't put it in the time. And I think that's a really great lesson in and of itself that you've got to put in the time and it's boring. It could be a slog. It could be, it's not always joyful, right? To do those things, but it's so worth it. Your body feels amazing afterward and you go and you complete that race. And, you know, the other thing I want to talk about, I guess I can say about that is just being an example to your kids, Mm -hmm. because if you look at your own kids and I'm sure you do, and you want everything for them. You want them to go out and crush their dreams, find a dream, go after it. You can do it. You have full belief in them, right? But if you're the kid and you're looking at your parent, your parents saying all these things to you, but they are not going out and crushing dreams and they're not doing anything to be an example that they can do it. How is the kid going to believe that they could do it? They're not. You can't argue with that. You certainly can argue with that. No, that's that's really great. It's a really simple way to put it. And I was a guest on a podcast a couple weeks ago, and I get the same thing. Like, you know, live the life that you want your kids to become. That's just as simple as you can exactly. put it. As probable can be. So, exactly. so this is a great, great show. Thanks for sharing everything. As we wrap up, how can guests get in contact with you or learn more about SteadyStream Investments? Yeah. So you can definitely visit my website, studystreaminvestments.com and connect with me there or you know, find me on Facebook or LinkedIn, connect with me there. I'd be happy to chat with anybody who's interested in learning more or just wants to talk real estate. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining Camilla. It's great. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. 
we have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.